The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, do our best to get through verse 1 through 12 today. I am sure, no doubt, that over the last couple months, it must seem as if I'm saying the same thing. Now, there is a blessing that most of you forget what I say before you walk out of this door that I probably could repeat myself very often and you'd have no idea. Uh, but for some of you, you might say, man, you've been talking about the same thing very often. And the fact is, yes, I really have been. I, there's no way to avoid that truth. And the reason being is as we go through Galatians, I hope that you see that as we stay within God's word, and we see what God's word is saying in the book of Galatians. Paul is saying the same thing because there is a great danger that is happening within the church. They were going away from grace and trying to earn freedom, trying to earn salvation again. And Paul says this is a big deal. This is an important topic. And so he really spends the whole book of Galatians talking about why this is so important. And I have to say, I believe it's still important for us because still to this very day, we get so lost in our work. We get so lost in the things that we do that we lose sight of what God has done for us. And in our lives, we strive and we struggle when we don't need to strive and struggle in those areas. Life is hard enough. It comes with its own burdens. It comes with its own difficulties that we don't have to throw our sin on our shoulders anymore. We don't have to throw the work that God has given us on our shoulders anymore because he's, he's done that for us already. He's taken that away. And so we still need to hear this message. For me personally, tomorrow, when tomorrow, you know what? Not even tomorrow. When I get done from here preaching, I have so much work to do to get ready for this picnic. The rain has messed everything up. And so what will happen is I will so easily get lost in that work, completely lost in that work. And I can get frustrated. I can get all kinds of things. And by this evening, no doubt, I will have to remind myself of the message of grace because I will have already forgotten it. I will already have struggled with some point system that gets set up in my own life. And so what we're going to see today in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, is first off in verse 1 is the most important verse of all of Galatians. It is the, the thesis of Galatians. Now, if you're anything like me, hearing that word makes you sick to your stomach. I hate English, hated English class, hate everything about it. But when you Think of the, the thesis. The thesis statement should tell you what the paper is about, what the, what the book is about. And one of the things that I was taught in speech class was maybe, maybe you were taught, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them what you want to tell them, what you're going to tell them. Tell them what you just told them. Three times you just repeat it. And in that first paragraph was the thesis of this is what I'm about to tell you. And so Paul has already told us what he was going to tell us. And now he gets to this statement in, in verse 1. And then in the following verses through 12, through verse 12, is he's going to tell us again 
what needs to be cemented in our life, what we need to hold to. You might remember at the very beginning of this series, I haven't said it a ton, but I did at the beginning of the series, like a little equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Paul is going to pound that home for us today in a very dramatic way, using some very big statements. So let's read verse 1 through 12, and then we'll break this up a little bit this morning. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, That if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision... Why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. And then verse 12, which is actually a very shocking statement that I won't dive into too deep this morning. He said, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. This is a play on words with circumcision. You can figure it out yourself, okay? When we look at verse 1, as I said, this is a very important statement. If you wanted to summarize all of Galatians in one verse, this would be the verse that you would go to and you would send someone here and say, this is what Galatians is about. It's about freedom. It's that Christ has set us free and you're not to be entangled by this anymore. But when we come to this verse, something that needs to be defined, something that needs to be understood of what is the Bible saying when it talks about freedom. Now, I know we've talked about this a little bit and we, we ask that question, how do you define freedom? What, what is the definition of freedom? And there could be all kinds of definitions in this room of what, of what freedom looks like or of what freedom is. You know, for some, it's money. Freedom is money. If I had money, I could do what I wanted. I wouldn't be hindered. I wouldn't have to worry about if this bill is going to be paid. I wouldn't worry about if I'm going to eat next week. I would really feel free if I had money, you know, or the ability to live as you please and do what you want. Whatever, whatever your definition of freedom is, doesn't matter at this moment. What we need to know is what is the definition of freedom that the Bible gives us? Because what often happens is we read the Bible and we think we understand the words that are being said without studying. And so we come across a word such as freedom and we put our definition in there. Oh man, if if I come to Christ, if I trust in Christ, I'm free to do what I want because that's what freedom means. Oh, if I trust in Christ, I'm going to be free to live as I want. I'm going to have wealth. I'm going to have money. I'm not going to have to worry. I'm not going to get sick anymore. I'm not going to experience any. It's because 
to them, that's their definition of freedom. And when they read a verse that says Christ will set you free, they say, that's what it is to be free. And Christ will give me that. But the problem is that's not how the Bible defines freedom. One of the commentaries I was reading this week, they defined biblical freedom this way. It says biblical freedom is a theological freedom. It is being freed from condemnation to have our conscience set free, to be justified before a holy God, not just forgiven, but declared righteous. I want you to think about that freedom. It's freedom to know that on the day that you stand before God, you will be declared righteous and you can know that this day. It's not something you have to wait for and say, well, man, I sure hope that day goes my way. No, you can know it right now. You can be assured of it right now. And what the Bible says is you can be set free because you won't have that weight. You won't have that worry anymore. Now, the opposite of this freedom would be legalism. This is something I've talked about in depth. A simple definition, this comes from another commentary. A simple definition would be this. Legalism is treating that which is good as though it were essential. Whenever Christians turn something valuable into something ultimate, legalism is at work and freedom is forfeited. And so when we come to the cross, the power of the cross that we sang about so well, you guys sang so loud this morning, I felt like I could hear you. And, and we're singing about the power of the cross. Well, the power of the cross is that by grace, we can be saved because of what Jesus has done. But the opposite of that is going to that cross, understanding what the cross stands for and say, God, what should I do to be saved? When what the cross says is look at what God has done for you to be saved. And so the opposite of freedom is going back to works-based religion, going back to the law. You see, Jesus did the work that he did so that we could be free. Look what it says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again by a yoke of bondage. That Christ has made us free. That is why Christ did what he did is so that we could be free. And so turning back away from that freedom rejects why Christ did what he did. It pushes it away. It says, no, that must not be why you were doing that so I could be free. You did that so I could have the ability to do what's right. You did that so I could have the ability to work myself to where you love me. But that's not why Jesus went to the cross. He did it to, send, to set us free so that we wouldn't have to be entangled by slavery. So we wouldn't have to carry that burden on our shoulders anymore. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? Paul will speak to that in the next verses that we already read. And so in verses two through six, I want to direct your attention there. Next is Paul encourages us. He encourages this church to keep the important thing important. All right. Keep what is important, important. Now, It'd be easy for me to go away from scripture and do a whole sermon series on keeping the important things important and telling you as dads to pay more attention to your kids and you shouldn't work as much because you're going to regret it in the long run. Or, you know, we could talk about women and focusing on inner beauty. 
That's what's important is inner beauty, not outside, right? And we hear those messages a lot. That's not where scripture's going here, okay? What's important is Christ. And so in verse two through four, Paul makes some big statements. He says, if you trust in circumcision, then get ready for this. Christ means absolutely nothing to you. Absolutely nothing to you. He's saying by being circumcised, what they were doing is they were relying on the law. They were relying on their works. And Paul says, if this is what you're going to do, then you better obey the whole thing. Right? He says, you better obey absolutely all of it. He says this in verse three. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law, the whole thing. So if it wasn't enough for this guy to go circumcise himself or however they did it, I don't know. Paul's saying, you better add all the rest of the law to it as well because you've just submitted yourself to that. You've submitted yourself back to the bondage of the law, to the slavery of the law. And what Paul is doing is he's trying to give his biggest appeal here by showing the dangers of of this. You can't mix the two. It doesn't work. You cannot mix grace and then a works salvation. It's like oil and water. It will not mix together. So Paul says, if that's what you're going to trust in, you better trust in absolutely all of it. Last night, uh, our family watched a movie. First time in a long time that all of us were home by 730. And I bought a a movie, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book that you should read if you haven't, the book Pilgrim's Progress. And it came out where you could watch it. It was sometimes around Easter. It was in the movie theaters. Well, they finally released it on DVD, so I bought it. And it was a cart, it's a cartoon type thing, a couple hours long. And and there's a part of that that really, I think, uh, encapsulates what Paul is getting at here. There's There's a part in the movie where Christian, he's on a journey and he goes through what's called the wicket gate. On the door, it says, those who, if, if you knock, it'll be open. And he, he knocks on the door and sure enough, the door is open. And, and Christian is able to walk through the door. Well, now one of the problems that Christian has in this movie is he has a burden on his shoulders and the burden keeps getting bigger and it keeps getting bigger. Now this represents shame and guilt and and sin in our life. Well, that wicked gate, what that wicked gate represents, and I I hope you understand this, is is salvation. He knocked, he sought after Christ, and and he walks in. Now, an interesting thing, the burden doesn't fall off at that moment. It doesn't fall off yet in the story. And what happens is the very first person that Christian runs into is a guy by the name of Mr. Worldly. And so Mr. Worldly is there. And as Christian's trying to stay on the path, he's trying to stay on the narrow path, heading to the celestial city that he's, he's trying to get to. And off to the side, he sees Mr. Worldly coming up. And Mr. Worldly's dressed really nice. And he's walking on a, a street that looks golden. And he's heading over to Christian. And he's asking Christian what is wrong. And Christian obviously is complaining about the burden on his back. It's weighing him down. It's extremely heavy. And Mr. Worldly says, I know a man who can get rid of that for you. He lives, he lives over there in the town of morality. Just go to the town of morality and see Mr. Legality. 
and he can take away your burden. He can show you how to get rid of your burden. And so in the story, Christian says, that's, that's a good idea. Even though he's been told, do not leave this path, but the burden is heavy. It's weighing on him. And so he goes into the town of morality. And when he gets to the town of morality, what he finds is he finds a mountain. And on the top of the mountain is Mr. Legality. And he's up there with his chisel and his hammer. And, and he's pounding out rules. And he throws it. And the mountain grows a little bit bigger. And he throws it. And Christian asks Mr. Legality, he says, I have this burden. I want to get rid of it. Can you get rid of this burden for me? And he says, yes, I can. Christian says, well, what should I do? He says, just climb the mountain up to me and I'll take it off of you. Just climb the mountain and get to me and I'll remove the burden. And so Christian says, okay. And so he starts to climb this mountain and the mountain is made up of all these rules and he's trying, he's trying to do it. And as he gets up, he slips and he falls down a little bit and he, he tries to do it again and he, he slips again and eventually he falls completely off the mountain. His burden much larger at this point. And at that moment, his helper, he has a helper throughout it who shows up at times and says, what are you doing? Why did you get off the path? What are you doing here? And he says, I was told that my burden could be lifted by Mr. Legality. He says, you, your burden can't be lifted by that. You can never accomplish this. And he said, you better run now. And in this, in this telling of it, the mountain grows big and it becomes a wave and it does its best to crush Christian. But at the last moment, Christian makes it to the narrow path. He makes it to the path and, he, and he's free from it. And what, what we see there is you will only ever be drowned. You will only ever be destroyed if you try to find a different way for your burden to be freed. If you try to do it on your own, if you trust in somebody else to take your burden from you, it's never going to happen because you can never meet that standard. And Paul says, you, if you're going to trust in circumcision, then, it, then it's all of it. You can't be, I like these rules, but not these. No, it's all of it. All or nothing. When we get to verse five and six, Paul continues on and he shows us the actions that we must do in order to be people of faith, right? It's not about the law. Well, then what do we do? Verse five, he says, for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. The first thing that Paul says that we're supposed to do is we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord with patience. We, we wait and, and we know what that feels like. If you're trying to, to be the Christian God has called you to be and you're, you're trying not to sin, you're, you're trying to serve him faithfully, you're, you're loving him as a father, you're doing these things that you want to be doing, one thing I can guarantee you understand and you know is that you have not yet been made perfect, that you still struggle with the effects of sins. You feel it in your knees. You feel it in how tired you are all the time. Right. And so as Christians, we we wait for the day. When we when glorification will come, we wait for the day when regeneration will fully be embraced, when we get to be with him forever, we don't have to worry about the things of this world anymore. The Bible says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes, There'll be no more pain. There's going to be no more suffering. We eagerly 
wait for that day, but we also know that that's a hard day to wait for. It's a difficult day to wait for. In Psalm 30, verse 5, we see this promise. It says, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If we're honest with ourselves, it seems like the morning never gets here. It seems like the morning is just far away. It's like one of those nights where you fall asleep and you wake up and you feel like it's been hours. It's been 10 minutes. You fall back asleep after wrestling and you wake up and still 15 minutes. Those long, long nights. And what Paul's encouraging this church to do is he's saying, I understand the difficulty. I understand, but, but we wait upon the Lord in our faith. We trust in what he has for us and what he has promised us. He, he, he expands on this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It breaks my heart, but I know many of people who've even sat in these pews, who if you were to talk to them today, they would say, I deny Christ completely. And when you ask them why, it'll be because he's took, took my loved ones, because I lost my job, because he obviously doesn't, doesn't care about me because of the sickness and these illnesses that I keep having. And I and I keep, I keep fighting. Can I, can I tell you what that is? That is the enemy completely pushing you away from patience. That's what Paul is talking about. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Continue to trust even in your difficulties, even in your trials, even in your struggles. Trust in the Lord and what he is doing. It's not easy to be patient. It's not easy to stand fast, but it's something that we must strive for, something we must work towards. Paul continues on and he talks about how the law doesn't work, but he says, but faith working through love does. Now we're going to talk more about this next week, more in depth, but I want to mention it here because it says our faith is going to be shown through love at the end of verse six, but faith working through love. I guess, I guess the way I want to explain it this morning without diving too much into it. A church that lives by works is a church that just eats each other up. It's a church you don't want to walk into anymore. Maybe at first you feel a little accepted and you come in and you're like, oh, everything's pretty good. And then you get to know some people and you're not doing as much as they think you should do. You know, and all of a sudden, it, you start hearing a lot of gossip. You start hearing a lot of backbiting. You start hearing a lot of different things. And the next thing you know is, you're like, these people don't really like each other. 
In fact, I think they're out to get each other. That's what a church looks like that lives by the law, that lives by works. But what what Paul says is what a church should be is a church should be the people of faith who in love glorify the Lord and what he has done. But number two, they love each other because of what he has done. They understand their relationship with each other because they understand their relationship with the Lord. I've said this numerous times already, but I know you're not perfect. And I know I'm not perfect. And so it's foolish for me to get so angry at you and so extremely heated at you because you are not perfect. Because apart from Christ, we'd be nothing anyways. We wouldn't be here together. But Christ has put us together. And the way this works is by faith working through love. We'll talk more about that next week. When we get to verses 7 through 12, we'll finish with 7 through 12, where Paul tells us that we have to remove the hindrance. This is where some really hard words from Paul come. In verse 7 and 8, Paul encourages the church to recognize the false teacher or the false teaching. And he, and he starts out, look at how he starts out in verse 7. You ran well. He gives them some encouragement. You ran well. And then he asks, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I think the reason that Paul encourages them here is because he wants to remind them what God has done, that God poured his grace out on them, that they received it in faith. And I think he wants to take them back to that time. I think it's important for us as Christians to remember what God has done for us. Now, you might be like me. I don't remember some date when I was saved. I don't have my date for when I was baptized I'm not even sure if I was seven or eight years old or something. I, I don't really have it, have it nailed down, but I do have this. I can definitely go back and I can remember grasping something as a little kid and God working in my life. And then, and then I can remember points in my life. I can go to him again. I can't tell you dates. I can't say, oh, it was a cold day. I, I have no idea, no idea. But I can say, how, how God grasped me and pulled me in more and more and more. And there's so many times in my life where I need to remember that because of the difficulty that I'm facing. To remember the work that God has done, to remember his faithfulness in my life. And now some of you, maybe that's the only place you ever live is back in the past. Well, I remember God used to do this and I remember God used to do that. Well, what has he done lately? What are you doing lately? So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying live in the path, path, past. But what I'm saying is it's good for us to remember what God has done. It reminded me of the, he- the hymn, Heaven Came Down. You guys remember that song? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You remember that moment? You remember that, that feeling, that joy that burst forth in your life because of what, what Christ was to you and what he had done? Paul's saying, remember that. You ran so well. You knew this. Who hindered you? Now, we know that he's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about these ones who came from Jerusalem, who was telling them that they had to obey the law in order to be Christian. He's saying, remember your conversion. Remember what God has done for you. And then he gets down to verse nine and he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Whenever you see the scriptures talk about leaven, 
It's often referring to sin. This goes back to the story of Exodus when Moses would would be the one used by God to free Israel from Egypt. And, And they were told to make bread, but to put no yeast in it, no leaven in it. And it was so that they could go quick because if you've ever cooked with yeast, you got to wait, right? You got to wait and let it do its thing before you can, can cook with it. And so it was saying, you need something so you can get out of here quick. And it was referencing there were people, which this sounds ridiculous, but there were people within Israel who didn't want to leave the comfort of Egypt and the slavery that they were in. Uh, that sounds backwards to me completely, but they were comfortable in their slavery. And so it was saying, you're going to leave them behind if they stay. Just leave them behind. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So as we get to the New Testament, it's always talking about sin. And it's always talking about getting rid of the sin in your life. Getting rid of the sin that surrounds you or that is in your church. And so the point here is that it's important for us to remove the sin in our life. To confess it. When we see false teaching, to acknowledge it. To confront it. Because the dangers is that it can ruin everything. It can ruin the whole batch. False teaching can completely destroy a church. Oh, there still might be people sitting there. They still might sing songs, but there's no faithfulness within that church. There's no faithfulness in that church because it's a false teaching. It's went away. Individually, we must work on getting the sin out of our life, confessing it to God. And we do this not just for our own sakes, but I hope you realize this. We talked about this in depth Sunday night, last Sunday night. Your sin as an individual affects all of us in here. It does. You say, well, no, no, it don't because nobody knows about it. Oh, the Lord knows about it. And when the, when the seed of sin is planted, oh, it, it'll sprout. And it'll have an impact on everybody that you have connected yourself with. And being a part of this church, you're connected with us. And so sin needs to be dealt with. And so what Paul is saying to this church, he's saying, Get these people out of here. Kick them out. They don't need to be there. And when you look at verse 11, Paul understands it's not something that is easy to do, that our Christian life is not something that is easy for us to live, but it's something that we must do. Look at verse 11. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. See, one of the things that people, the Judaizers started saying within the church was this. Paul's teaching the same thing. I want you to know Paul's teaching the same thing. So believe what we're saying, because Paul's teaching the same thing. And and Paul's comeback is very simple. If I'm teaching circumcision is right, why in the world are the Jewish authorities persecuting me? Why do I still continually face persecution for my faith? Paul's saying it's because I'm not teaching that. I'm speaking Truth, something that we must understand as Christians, as we live our life in grace, we will face hardships. We will face trials. We will absolutely face difficulties. And the world pushes against this so extremely hard. It's probably a book that you've read to your kids, right? Of the train, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. When scripture speaks so different to that, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, but I can, and I have. See, the world is always telling you, do this and you'll be better. Tweak this a little bit and it'll work faster. 
We get told that as a church. If you have more of a Twitter preference, you'll have more people in your church. If you would do this, the offerings will go up. If you would just tweak your website a little bit, I don't know why you're using that color. It's a color that's sad. You should use a happy color. Your church will be bursting. What is that? That is man-made ways to grow a church. It is man-made ways to make ourselves better. I promise you this. You will never get to the point to where you say, I'm exactly the person I want to be. Oh, I'm so happy with who I am. It's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. What we must realize is that we have a God who's poured out his grace on us. And that is what we hold onto. And that is it. Nothing else. That is what is most important to us. That is what is central in our lives is the, is Jesus and what he has done to wipe away our sins, to, to release our burdens. You know, in that movie I was talking about in that book, Christian never loses his burden until he starts to climb this hill. He climbs this hill and he climbs this hill and he climbs this hill. And finally he gets to the top of the hill. And you know what's at the top of the hill? The cross, Calvary. And when he gets to the top of the hill, he finally realizes what this salvation is about. He finally realizes who Jesus is. And at that moment, his burden falls off. And in this movie, it rolls down into an empty tomb. And he no longer has that burden on his shoulders anymore. We don't need to carry around that burden. It would have been so foolish for Christian to walk down that hill and say, well, wait, I kind of like that. I kind of want that back on my, on my shoulders. We live in grace. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, life can be hard. But we don't live just for this life either. We live for the day to come. Paul kind of closes with some encouragement for the church in verse 7, verse 10, and verse 12. And I really want you to see how Paul loves his church. He tells them they ran well. He encourages them in that. In verse 10, he says something. He says, I have confidence in you. I have confidence that you can do this. I have confidence that you are going to do the right thing. And I think his last encouragement really is in verse 12. He says a very crude, I would say locker room almost joke. Where he says they might as well just go cut themselves off. Showing his church that he means business. Well, church, many have ran well in your life. You can look and you've ran well. You say, yeah, but I could do so much better. Of course, of course, we all can. But you've ran well. You've trusted in Christ and faith. You believe in his grace and that it's been poured out on you and you, you want to live for him. You, you're trying to live for him. You, you ran well. And I could say the same as Paul is verse 10. I have confidence in you that you can fight the good fight on a daily basis. Like you can fight against Satan and the enemy saying, Satan, it's not on my shoulders anymore. Christ has took that burden off of me. I don't bear that guilt. I don't bear that shame. Stop, stop making me feel that way. I have confidence that you can fight that fight. But don't forget, it's a fight. It's a fight. And in most fights, you get hit. In most fights, 
you get hurt. In most fights, you get beat down a little bit. But that's where the good news is for us as Christians. Even as this world completely knocks me out and I'm lying on the mat completely dead, what I'm told in 1 Corinthians is this. They just gave me victory in killing me. They just gave me victory. Because now I don't have to worry about pain anymore. I don't have to worry about sorrow. I get to experience true, complete joy. And so I hope that you will fight that fight. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what you're experiencing at this exact moment. I know what some of you are going through. But I want to encourage you to hold on to the truth of grace. Don't buy into the things of this world. Don't buy into what Mr. Worldly has to offer, but stay focused on Jesus, the important thing, because that is what is important in our life. And if we will do that faithfully as a church, God will bless. We'll be united and we'll have such an impact in this community. You'll have an impact with your family. You'll have an impact with your friends because of the work that God is doing in your life. Let's bow together. I want to pray. God, I do thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I know even for me, as I approach the different verses and we're preaching on during the week, and I can even think, okay, preaching on legalism again, preaching against that, okay, grace. But God, it is so evident in my life how easy I forget that. God, I need to be reminded of that many times during the day. God, I believe there's a lot of people here this morning and they are just completely weighed down with guilt and shame. and It causes them to be depressed. It causes them to be anxious. It causes them to hurt. It causes them to have struggle in relationships. And God, maybe that's a sign of them trying to earn some things on their own. God, I pray that you would free them of that. God, open their eyes to the truth of what you have done for them on the cross and conquering death, hell, and the grave. God, that you would release them of the bondage and the yoke of slavery, and that they would really experience freedom, true freedom of knowing that one day they're going to stand before you and that they can be declared righteous because of the work of Jesus and their trust in that. God, I pray that this morning that would happen in somebody's life. God, I pray for that Christian like I mentioned with the Pilgrim's Progress, has kind of wandered off the path. They've listened to the things of the world and they, they're off the path. God, I have no doubt they feel the weight of it. God, I pray that this morning they would get back on the path, that you would guide them where they need to go, that they'd be willing to submit. Maybe it's sin in their life that they just need to deal with, they need to confess and get rid of. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But God, I pray that you'd help us to respond to you how we should this morning as we sing this last song to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.